This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified Profiting From Your Passions coach, Kate Fessler. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler. My guest today is Dr. Carol Parker-Walsh. Carol is an acclaimed author, speaker, corporate consultant, and confident image coach. She is the founder of Evolve Image Consulting, a professional development company that educates entrepreneurs and business leaders on developing an effective, empowering, and confident image. Her unparalleled ability to empower not only individuals, but businesses through transformative methods has allowed her clients to go from ordinary to extraordinary in a very short period of time. Carol is one of 10 licensed fashion feng shui masters in the world, a master NLP practitioner and combines her education, JD and PhD, and experience to help her clients implement proven strategies to increase profit, productivity, self-confidence, and success. With 25 plus years as an attorney, management consultant, professor, and dean, Carol ran a six-figure organizational consulting practice and won national awards for building a 100-plus sales force, developing leaders, and business development. Carol is a premier success coach with the eWomen Network, the vice president for global marketing for the Association of Image Consultants International, editor-in-chief of the AICI Global Magazine, is a regular contributor to the Vancouver Business Journal, the Oregonian, and KATU2's AM Northwest, and has been seen in the Huffington Post and on ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. Welcome, Carol. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. You have a lot of letters after your name. JD, PhD, <laughs> FFSM, AICI, CIC, overachieve much? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always joke and tell people I am what's known as overeducated. <laughs> uh, well, I know a JD is a law degree. What's your PhD in? My PhD is in human development and social systems. Ah, that's fascinating. Yeah, so I focused um, around identity development and gender equity and understanding how women define who they are, develop sense of self-worth and self-confidence and self-esteem and antithesis to all the other social societal messages that they give back. Wow, and that is definitely a... uh... A topic for today, because that is definitely in the forefront of everyone's discussions. Yes, yes. You know, how people, we, we um, it's unfortunate, I've noticed that even dipping down into elementary and middle schools that, you know, girls, and, and this has always been a challenge, but it feels a little bit more prevalent today that, you know, they're defining their sense of self by external standards as opposed to really developing you know, a strong, authentic, you know, identity around who they are and what they want to accomplish and basing their value on internal or intrinsic values as opposed to external or outward look. 
Yeah, I'm very sad that girls are still struggling with that because I know, you know, I struggled with it and I'm, I think every woman ever. <laughs> and it seems like at some point uh, we shouldn't be struggling anymore. Well, you know, I agree with that. But even if you look at the history, um, you know, Marilyn Monroe and her size 12, 14 in the 50s and Twiggy in the 60s and then athletic build in the 80s. I mean, it's it's a never ending bombardment of what you're not, right? That yeah. you're not thin enough or you're not athletic enough or you're not curvy enough or you're not tall enough or blonde enough or you know, so, and, and this is the thing that all these messages, particularly that women get around their appearance, it's crazy making. And so there's really, whatever's the fad at the time appears to rise to the top and everyone then tries to go that way as opposed to really honoring and loving themselves where they are right now, which is really my message and the core of what I love to do in my business. Yeah. You had a lot of schooling. That's that's two degrees that take a long time. But yeah. you must have really loved education because not only did you obtain these degrees, you became a professor and a dean. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I consider myself a lifelong learner. I am one of those people who loves to digest information and to allow it to um, really influence my worldview and um, theoretical framework on on how I see things in life. I think it's the way that you continue to grow and and continue to uh, become a better version of yourself by taking in new information and knowledge. I was a practicing attorney for 10 years and I was married um, and went through a divorce. And uh, during that process, I moved across country. We were living in Atlanta at the time and had to go through my own kind of transformation transform transformative process of refiguring out what I wanted to do and who I was and what direction I would take in my life. And at that time, I was really feeling like I didn't want to practice anymore. It, it um, as an, as a field, it really wasn't in balance with how I like to operate. It's, it's an adversarial profession in and of itself, but I find myself more interested in mediation and, and presenting, you know, options as opposed to a right or wrong answer. And as I started to uh, evolve and figure out what I really wanted to do and how I would put my voice out in the world, I decided to go back to school, something that had always really been at the back of my mind, but now I had an opportunity to do that. And through that process, just really started understanding about, you know, like we talked about, you know, gender and, and identity development. And while I was working for uh, the School of Nursing, actually locally here at Oregon Health and Science University, as the um, Associate Director for Professional Diversity Development, the dean asked me what I like to be on faculty. And I thought, okay, mm. <laughs> um, just to be able to teach leadership and to teach other skills. But as I was finishing my doctorate, I started teaching in the public health program and really start looking at the social determinants of health. So because my degree looked at societal uh, determinants and the impact on how people figure out who they are, I started teaching that from a health perspective, right? So how it was, Im how it was um, impacting obesity and hypertension and high blood pressure and, and things of that nature, not just the sense of self internally, but also the physical aspects of it as well. And my career just took off from there. I started teaching and then I became the director of that a public health program. And then I got tapped on the shoulder to go to Santa Barbara and 
uh, move into a dean position and direct their organizational leadership program. So my, my career just kind of took off on its own. And it's interesting that I work with a lot of women who are in transition or find themselves in places where they're like, I don't know how I got here in my career. It just kind of, I, I just went down the path of the trajectory of if I do this, then I do this, and then I do this. And I was actually being groomed to maybe move into a provost and ultimately, you know, another 10 or 15 years after that, maybe look at a presidency. And I kind of woke up one day thinking, this is not really what I wanted to do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and as I was on the precipice of my 50th birthday, I went back to you know, why I went through my doctorate program, what I learned from that experience, how it helped me personally. And I really wanted to work with women um, and how they felt about themselves and really being a catalyst to help them really re-embrace their authentic self, find their passion and purpose, and then share that with the world. And that's what I decided to do. And so I branched out, I left that and started Evolve Image. Well, so presumably the FFSM in your long string of uh, acronyms is Fashion Feng Shui Master. Yeah. I never knew there was such a thing. What <laughs> is that? <laughs> and how do you become one? Yeah, it um well actually it's a it's a really beautiful wed of the um kind of ancient art of feng shui and image consulting. And the person um who actually created this methodology, um Ivana Maggiore, was an image consultant who studied feng shui and became quite proficient at it. And when she understood this kind of foundation of feng shui that talks about everything has energy she translated that into color and line and silhouette and even an individual persona and how we ourselves have energy and by understanding that energetic element we then could learn how to dress ourselves with intention and surround our bodies as opposed to just surrounding our homes with things that can actually help fulfill our our highest value and our purpose and desire so that we can have health and love and prosperity and things of that nature as people usually do when they use feng shui in terms of placing things in the home or in the office. So she wedded these two things together and developed this methodology and started teaching it to other uh, people who wanted to learn how to do this, particularly other image consultants. So I studied um, the the practice of it. And to become a master, you have to have utilized it pretty predominantly in your career. I've, and it's the foundation of everything that I do, but I've also uh, written uh, books on there. I have um, talked about it quite a bit. We just published another book on feng shui and I wrote a chapter about how to utilize it in our confidence level and even how to utilize it in the corporate setting, how to really think about it from a larger scale as opposed to uh, just. In just in your closet, but then how you show up at work, how you show up in your career, how you show up in your business to attract the clients, to attract that promotion, to attract those opportunities that you will want to have in that organization um, or in your own business. So, so to become a master, you have to just develop a higher level proficiency at being able to utilize the methodology. And that's what I was able to do. And I just, I think it was earlier this year, I, I, um, and, and it's, it's, not really. You have to prove that proficiency. So once I did that, the um, international organization awarded me that master designation. 
and how do you how do you prove proficiency? Well, it's it's through the amount of uh, clients and work that I do utilizing the methodology. So you know, I have to submit feedback and evaluations and the amount of client and or corporate work that I do um, utilizing the methodology and then the transformative, the transformation that happens with individuals reporting that back in their evaluations. And if that proves satisfactory and you have to have practiced feng shui for several years as well. And so between that and then the evaluations, then you can, um, the international will deem you a master. So for anyone listening who doesn't know, give us a quick, uh, what is what is feng shui? It, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's hanging a mirror here or placing a plant there. But I well, think it's it a little bit of a mystery to a lot of people. Well, it fundamentally is about the art of placement. You know, it's it's about how you move the energy in a particular space in order to achieve the things that you want to have or your desires or goals that you want to have in your life. So usually feng shui is thought of in the home or in the workplace that you can actually do your whole home. There's different schools of thought around feng shui. So depending on who you would talk to, they may tell you, you know, what the, they, what they would look at, but it utilizes the five elements of, of water, wood, fire, earth, and metal, and understanding what each of those energies bring to bear and how to move them and present them in your different spaces in order for you to be more productive, to have greater prosperity, health, and well-being. So that's fundamentally what feng shui in itself is and how it's usually utilized um, here in the U.S., although it's more, um, it, um, came out of um, Chinese culture, but for, for thousands of years, um, and it talks a lot about, as I said, energy and color and, and, um, and movement and placement. So the combination of that with fashion feng shui is moving that placement out of something like a home or office onto the placement of things on your body and how to utilize the energy in a way that allows you to attract the things that you want to have in your life. Mm, Fascinating. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) I know that you have a lot of shoes. I bet I have just as many, if not more. Oh! (laughs) What is it about shoes that we find so appealing? Well, you know, shoes have so much personality, or they can, rather. And if you're someone who's a little bit more hesitant about, you know, putting too much color or pizzazz or metallic or something whimsical on your body, you can always do it in a fabulous pair of shoes. So even if you were to wear singular colors, you can wear shoes with pattern or shoes with feathers on them or shoes with uh, brocade or velvet or satin or glitter or, you know, anything of the like. So shoes give you such a great way to demonstrate your personality without it really overpowering your entire outfit. That's personally why I love shoes. Um, And I think that's why a lot of people go for them as well, because it's the one place that maybe if they're working in an environment or around a certain clientele or find themselves in a situation where they can't be maybe as expressive in their wardrobe, they can definitely do it in their shoe. Mm. Interesting. We've got to take a short break, but when we come back, evolving your image. 
Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's Virtual Office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's Virtual Office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's Virtual Office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome back. You are listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and my guest today is Dr. Carol Parker-Walsh. Carol, image is a sensitive subject for a lot of people. What are some of the reasons people should consider how they're presenting themselves to the world? Well, what's true, and this is very much grounded in a lot of data and research out of Stanford, out of Harvard, out of you know, Princeton, several studies that talk about the impact of what you wear and how it influences not only how other people think about you, but how you also feel about yourself. Um, there's a theory of enclosed cognition that really supports that, that when we put certain things on, that we're more proficient, we perform more competently and more successfully, and people will actually react and respond to us in a very different way. And we only have a tenth of a second to make an impression. So if you're someone who's in business and you want to attract clients, if you want to stand out at networking events, if you want to really be seen as the authority and leader in your field or industry, or you're speaking on stage, you have to be able to capture people's attention and allow the impression or the message that you want to send out about yourself as someone who's an expert or competent and capable of doing what it is you're doing. You have to master your image. I mean, it's it's fundamental. It's, it's unfortunately the last thing people think about. People focus so much on, I have to get the skills and I want my website to be amazing and my business cards need to be fabulous and my logo needs to be on point. But none of that matters if you show up and no one believes anything that's written on that marketing material or on your website or that amazing business card that you put together because people respond to what they see visually, first and foremost. They, before you even speak, before you share any information, they respond to what they see. And if what they see is not in congruence with whatever it is you're saying, then people don't trust you. And if they don't trust you, they won't do business with you. Mm. Give us some examples of the types of mistakes people make that can have a big negative impact. Well, a lot of it is the visual kind of static or visual chaos that people put together. So something like wearing all black, you know, black has, does not have a lot of, um, there's no color to it. It's really the absence of color. So what it does, it doesn't reflect any light back onto your face. And as a result, it pulls color away from your face. So you often look tired or you look ill. Um, It doesn't, lift you up or add color to your face. So black is one of the most common things I see people do or wearing uh, patterns that are overpowering so that all the person sees is the pattern and they can't even hear what you're saying. They're distracted by the visual kind of chaos and static that's caused by the wrong choice of pattern that really isn't suited toward your particular body or frame or wearing things that are oversized or ill-fitted That's a really big one, you know, particularly for people who are a little bit more curvy or people who are older and they they want to make sure they're not 
either being sexual in their attire or they're trying to hide, you know, those little lumps and bumps you get as you get older. <laughs> so they wear things that are oversized and ill-fitted. And that actually communicates a message of a lack of awareness or relevancy or, or even competence and capability. Because it shows if you don't know how to dress yourself, you probably maybe would be just as careless with a job or a task that someone may hand you or assign to you. So those are some of the big no-nos and things that people really do without realizing the message that they're sending back or just not staying. And I'm not saying being trendy, but to stay on trend, meaning just stay current in your attire and your appearance so that the hairstyle you you wore back in 1973, maybe you've updated it a bit, <laughs> you know, or the handbag that you've had for 20 years, you know, things of that nature. You know, I, I get the tried and trues, but you really need to stay current and on trend. Um, not trendy is a difference to me. It's not the latest fad, but it's just about staying current. Yeah, but there's also the retro that is, um, I don't know, cool probably isn't a trendy word to use, but <laughs> well, I see know. a lot of people wearing things from 20, 30 years ago who are young people and it and it's more of a, uh, it's a vintage thing. Yeah, well, it, everything comes back into style. I mean, right now, what is quote unquote on trend or what what's trendy is the 60s and 70s. You know, you see velvet, big flowers that kind of peasant look in terms of the dressing, uh, the little booties, the platforms, all of those things were very popular in the late 60s and 70s. And with anything in fashion, it always comes back on trend. Um, however, you just have to make sure that is that you're wearing it in a way that's still very relevant and current if you want to incorporate that into your look. But your wardrobe shouldn't be surrounded by whatever's popular this year because next year you'll have to buy a whole new wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Classics are best. Yes, classics are best. So what do you say to someone who says, come on, Carol, what difference does it make what I wear? How I look shouldn't be relevant. You should be listening to what I say. Yeah, what I say to that is I won't be able to hear what you say if I'm distracted by how you show up. Right. Because like I said, we take 93% of our communication comes visually. And so what happens is when we get that first impression, when we see someone, we immediately make that judgment. The appearance is the filter through which everything you say or do is evaluated. And so if I am not seeing your appearance as someone who matches this level of competence that you say you have, I'm not going to trust it. And what's true is that even though it takes a tenth of a second to make an impression, beyond that, what people look for is data to reinforce the first impression. So even if you have a stellar resume, you have years of experience, you have competency like nobody's business, if you show up in a way that's unkept or um, it's ill-fitted or things just don't seem to match, if people are already assessing you as somebody who maybe not have their things together, but you have a resume or you start saying, hey, I can do this, I can do that, what people look for is information to reinforce their first thought. So if you say something opposite, like, no, I am good at what I do, they're not going to believe you or they're going to really question whether or not that's true. You know, and, and let's take an example of that. If I if you were to go into a bank and the person who showed up to talk to you about your loan and your finances, you know, looked like, I don't know, a DJ 
I think there's a commercial <laughs> like this. There is a commercial like yeah, that, yeah. A commercial where if he looks like, if, you know, he shows up looking like the DJ with tattoos all over and dark eyeliner and so on and so forth. Would you really believe? And he could be the most competent of bankers. But would you still look at them and wonder whether or not this person can handle your finances? Because appearances matter. Now, that's an extreme example. But the appearances matter versus somebody who shows up like they look like they know the part, but maybe they don't know anything, but you tend to believe them because your first instinct, that tenth of a second, says, yes, this person matches what I believe is a competent, relevant, or capable person. So it definitely is appearance, but part of your appearance is also how you carry yourself, right? So it's also what is called in, in executive presence language, gravitas, right? That genesis qua, that, that if you walk and move in confidence, in addition to how you show up, it sends a tremendous amount of signals to the other person to say, okay, I want to know more. I want to proceed with this person. So yeah, it's, it's not just about what you know. And, and unfortunately, that's the mistake that a lot of people make. Um, when I do work with my clients who are either in business or wanting to promote, you know, they have the competency to get the promotion, but for some reason, they always get passed over. And nine out of 10 times when they're asked about why they didn't get the job, they let them know, well, there's just something you just don't carry yourself like someone who should be at this level. So that has nothing to do with competency, but it has everything to do with the package and the package that they see is not supporting that or why people aren't getting the clients or why when they get on stage, they're wondering why people aren't blown away by what they said, because they're not carrying themselves or showing up visually in a way that's making people say, okay, I believe this and I need more or I want more. And that's, that's not just advice for women, right? That's, that's men as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, men don't have as many wardrobe choices as women, but they definitely have choices in terms of pattern, in terms of texture, in terms of uh, color. So instead of always wearing that black suit or that gray suit, you know, go for a suit that has some slight, you know, a slight plaid pattern to it or some pinstriping or wear something that is fitted in a way that really complements your body and not baggy or oversized or wearing ties that have a little bit more personality or different types of collars on the shirt that you choose. So men have some versatility. It's not as much as women have, but they, there's definitely versatility in how they can put together an outfit that also reflects the energetic energy and essence of who they are and the message that they want to put out there in the world. Mm. And shoes. I know that men oh, and shoes. shoes. That's right. They have good shoes too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I quick funny story about that I remember the first time I went to France and we got out of the airport and got onto the bus and I looked at the bus driver's shoes and I said oh my gosh even the bus driver has great shoes in France <laughs> yes yes I've been to Paris twice and you will not see people who have not put some thought into how they into how they dress now here's a beautiful thing about that is in, in that in Paris I've been I was blessed to have been there twice and they don't have huge like walk-in closets and the amount of clothing that we have. They usually have a small uh, boudoir that they are able to put, you know, just a certain amount of clothes. So the difference is that they buy for quality and they mm -hmm. buy knowing their body shape 
what they're going after and something that's authentic to who they are. And then they know how to create versatility within that really minimalist level of wardrobe, as opposed to just buying for the sake of buying, they buy with intention and purpose, which is really the core of really what fashion feng shui is, is helping you to really dress and purchase with intention and purpose. So that you don't I need think a ton, except for shoes, but you don't need a yeah. ton. <laughs> I know my husband would love for me to accept that wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't need as much. <laughs> so what is a, what's the number one thing you hear from your clients? What are they struggling with the most when they come to you? You know, the thing is that they hate their wardrobe and they have a closet full of nothing to wear. I, I hear that first and foremost. And a lot of it is because on average, women particularly spend about $1,800 a year on their wardrobe, but they only wear about 20% of that, which means $1,400 of that goes goes to waste. And that's, that's why we consume so much because we keep trying to find the thing that works. But unless you know yourself, unless you know your intention, goals, and purpose and have that really vision clarity, then you, it's always a shot in the dark. So we buy and buy and buy hoping one of those things would work. And maybe, you know, one out of so many do, but you end up with just a small amount of things that you wear over and over again, because you just don't have a sense of what your style really is. You don't have a sense of how to leverage that and create a wardrobe that builds your confidence, that supports your vision, and really the message that you want to send out there to the world. So because we don't have that clarity, we get we buy into whatever the lady in the store says looks good on us. Or we saw a girlfriend wearing something that we, we love and think is fabulous, not realizing her body shape and her energy is different than our own, but we buy it then we wonder why it doesn't work on us. Or we see a fashion blogger who we love and it looks good on her and she loves it, so I should get it. Or a fashion magazine, right? Or the abundance of sales magazines we get in the mail that um, tell us it's time to go shop and pick up something new for our closet. And because we're so dissatisfied with what's in there, we then go out and buy more and then end up not being satisfied with that either. So the biggest, the biggest thing I, that, that I usually get that starts off the conversation is I, I hate my wardrobe. I hate my closet. I have nothing to wear. Or it's all geared toward suits and business and I'm not doing that anymore or I really don't like that and I just don't know what to do and I don't know how to help my clothes tell the story of who I am um, so that's usually what they lead with and then when we start uncovering layers we realize that there may even be a confidence issue there may they, there may be a self-esteem issue there may be an issue of just showing up and being visible uh, there may be an issue of just really not having done the work to really figure out who they are and that can open up a big can of worms to set people on a path of this really beautiful self-discovery um, that they otherwise wouldn't thought of uh, that this work would help them do. Yeah, what's on the outside is a reflection of what's on the inside, right? Always, always. I mean, honestly, when you go, I can go into people's closets and it's almost like a forensic study. I can tell if people, you know, if they if they're not happy, if they've been bullied, if if um, they feel, you know, confident if, if, if it's filled with a costume and uniforms, what I call that, not literal uniforms, but these things that they've worn because they think they have to wear and whether or not it reflects who they are, you know, so you really can learn a lot by looking through somebody's closet. It, it truly is. People make purchase decisions based on how they feel in the moment. And so it gives you insight. Everybody wants to appear confident. 
Is there something, one thing, everyone listening can do today, right now, that will help them project a more confident image? You know, confidence starts from the inside. So it's really hard to say if, if, if there's one thing. But I will say this. If you took an honest look at your closet and just pulled out the five, just five pieces and asked yourself, when I wear this, how do I feel? Right? And if the answer is, eh, it's okay, or, you know, it's just something I wear for X, Y, Z. If the answer isn't, oh, when I put this on, the world is my oyster. If that's not mm. the response, <laughs> then it's probably something you shouldn't have in your closet. I mean, why fill your closet with things that don't make you feel amazing? And, and the misconception people have is that it's about being, quote unquote, dressed up all the time. And that is not what I'm saying. Even if you throw on a pair of leggings and a top and a pair of boots to go grocery shopping, it should be something that makes you feel amazing when you wear it. It doesn't matter whether or not it's something for a business meeting or if you're going to watch your kids play soccer. You shouldn't have those, I'm just going to throw this on because I don't care outfit. I mean, how does that even sound to say that? And people tell me that all the time. Well, this is just when I don't care, I just throw this on. So if you throw something like that on your body and you don't care, what energy are you putting out there in the world? How is that going to support you when you're throwing this any old thing that I don't really care about on your body? And I can't tell you how many women have that. Well, I just throw this on when I'm doing this. Well, I just throw this on when I'm doing that, as opposed to having something for these occasions. Well, when I want to, I work out of a home office, but I get up and I get dressed and I wear something that makes me feel amazing because it makes me more pro productive. It makes me feel better about myself. It puts me in that mode and that energy of going to work. And is it, it's not a suit. I don't, I don't even wear suits anymore, but it's something that I feel good in. So if I did have to run off and meet with a client, or if I did want to meet someone for coffee for networking, or if I did find myself out and about to drop something in the post office or to do some pre-shopping for a client, if I run into someone, I'm not like, oh my God, I hope they don't see me <laughs> the way I am right now. I'm always dressed in a way that makes me feel amazing. And that's the only thing I allow in my closet that when I put them on, I feel amazing. Mm. A lot of people who work at home in sweats looking at themselves right now. <laughs> and they should. I mean, you can't, if you work from home, I, I, I wrote a blog about this, I pr probably a couple. If you, if you work out of a home office and you're not getting up and prepping yourself for your day, you are doing a disservice because more than likely, I think people who do that would probably, if they admit to the truth, don't start getting into the groove of their day to run one because it, it creates this kind of sluggish, you know, casual, laissez-faire kind of movement to the day as opposed to a purposeful, active, productive day. It makes a huge difference by just getting up and prepping yourself for the day, as opposed to keeping your pajamas on or throwing on the sweatsuit, you know, that whole, it, 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 I bet if they were honest with themselves, they would find themselves lagging the whole day or, or at the end of the day wondering, how did the day get by me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're almost out of time, so I have to ask you, what is one book or resource that changed your life besides your own that you would recommend to people? 
Wow. You know, there are so many great books out there and I'm always a reader of something, but I tell you the one most recently that I read is Mel Robbins, Five Second Rule. And what I absolutely love about the book is that she talked about her own challenges of how um, different things were not going well in her life. And usually what happens for a lot of us, if things aren't going well, we tend to just hide or sleep in or, or try to ignore. And she um, particularly was talking about how she would, the alarm would go off. She would snooze it every for an hour and then mm-hmm. get up and rush and the kids would be late for school and she'd be late for whatever. And she started doing this counting down, um, five, four, three, two, one, go. And so she, whenever she needs to do anything, if she needs to stop herself from eating something she knows she shouldn't eat, if she needs to go to the club and work out, if she needs to pick up the phone and follow up with someone or call a potential um, client or whatever it is in her life, she just counts down five, four, three, two, one, and then moves into action before it gives her brain enough time to talk herself out of doing <laughs> the things she didn't ah. want to do. So I thought it, it was a fascinating read and I really enjoyed it and um, have even implemented it myself in a few areas and, and really find that it's successful. You know, if you do that before your brain kicks in to give you 20 reasons why you should hit the snooze button or why you don't want to do something or talk yourself out of it, you can actually start really engaging in more productivity. Yeah. Wow. So tell us about your books. Yeah, well, I wrote um, a few books. I have um, um, Your Close Speak, you know, Understanding the Power of, of What You Wear, and Your Second Act. And they're very short reads. They're very, very short read books. But the first one just really talks a lot about my own journey of, you know, understanding the power of what's going on on the inside and how it impacts what you were on the outside. And then my second book, Your Close Speak, speaks specifically about the stages that I move people through to being able to find that uh, wardrobe that allows them to um, speak the messages that they want to share with the world. And then I'm also a contributor to uh, the Fashion Feng Shui's, uh, the International has a book, and I'm one of the um, co-authors in that book. It's an edited book of several of us. And I wrote particularly around using feng shui to build your confidence from fear to fortitude is the chapter in uh, that particular book, all of which are available on Amazon. So if you Google me on Amazon, you can find any one of my books. Awesome. If someone wants to find out more about you and your work or fashion feng shui, how can they do that? You can always go to my website. That's always a great starting place for me, which is evolvingyourimage.com. Evolvingyourimage.com. Yes. And I'm also on Facebook. I post a lot. I do a lot of writing on LinkedIn and on my blog is very active. So I have a ton of free resources that are available to people if they just read my blogs or download some of my free guides that I've put together um, or find some of the data or information that I post on my Facebook page. So I believe in, as a lifelong learner, <laughs> to share with others um, as I learn as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, that was fascinating. Dr. Carol Parker Walsh, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. I'll be right back. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. 
What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. Well, that was fascinating. Did you know there was such a thing as fashion feng shui? I am definitely going to read up on that. If you have something to add to the conversation, please leave a comment on my Facebook page, First Class Life Solutions. Remember, all the books written or recommended by my guests can be found on my website, firstclasslifesolutions.com. Look on the resources tab. What's your story? If you'd like to share it to inspire others on my podcast, please click on the link at the bottom of the show page and fill out the survey. If it seems like a good fit, I'll be in touch. Next week, the day after Thanksgiving, my show will be about what else? Gratitude. At a recent eWomen Network breakfast, I asked some people to share the biggest change in their life for which they are most grateful. Tune in to hear what they had to say, as well as other inspiring material to celebrate the season of gratitude and help you carry that with you all year long. I hope you'll join me. Until then, wishing you and yours a safe and happy Thanksgiving holiday, and cheers to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at EWNPodcastNetwork.com.